Welcome to Trusting the Covenant, the podcast all about faith, finance, and the freedom of having enough. Today's episode, we're all going to die. So get a power of attorney. In today's episode, Minor and I talk about the power of attorney and medical directive documents. We talk about why they're so important for protecting you and your loved ones against unplanned tragedies and situations. We talk about what happens if you pass away without a plan in place and how all of your assets get tied up in the costly and headache-filled world of probate court. Minor teaches us how to protect all of our assets in a fully funded legacy estate plan. And we answer the question about biological and adopted children and the role they play in a power of attorney and estate plan. Finally, we touch on the heart-rending story of Miner's family tragedy that inspired him to start the company Trusted Covenant and how a power of attorney played a vital role in his family's peace of mind. Join us as we answer your questions about power of attorney in today's episode. Hey there, and welcome to today's episode of Trusting the Covenant, Faith, Finance, and the Freedom of Having Enough. My name is David Safford. I work here at Trusted Covenant with our founder, Minor Ramos. Hey, Minor, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. This is really amazing. I'm I'm so excited to be part of this t- today and uh, for our listeners and for uh, what we're doing here at Trusted Covenant. So today, Minor, we're talking about the power of the power of attorney. This is one of the hottest topics in the world of financial security and protecting your assets. When you know you do a Google search, there are a million questions about how powers of attorney work and why they're so important. So I actually want to begin with this question, Minor. Why is having a power of attorney so important to you personally? Yeah, David. Part of my story is, you know, we live life like normal. We we go to work, we work for a corporation, you know, we have you know, mortgages to pay, you know, the kids to pick up and everything. Everything just seems to to work as life usually does. Until your own life is turned upside down, very similar to what happened to our family in 2021. And I'll give you just a, a two-minute version of that story. Yeah, yeah. And really it was it was in the summer of 2021, my 25-year-old daughter, Kayla, and I were both hospitalized. And after 11 days of being in the hospital, I was actually released, but she was not. And so the family would go through uh, what we what we call a, a journey. And, and really, in, in the negative sense, it was hospital trauma. In the positive sense, it was God's, God's story about, you know, in us working through that process it was painful yet there was reassuring that god was working with us but what ended up happening is that we experienced that power of attorney live like that was part of what we were able to do so we were able to exercise the power of attorney that she had granted to us and remember most people think well why would an 18 year old need a power of attorney precisely for that. And so move forward, you know, four months later, um, she passed away. And this is actually part of her legacy and part of her story, you know, to to, to exercise this. So this is a very personal thing for all of us uh, at the Ramos household. 
So, and just to clarify for anyone who didn't quite understand the math of that, because your daughter was a legal adult, she was over 18. If she was incapacitated in a coma, did you as her father or, or your wife as her mother have any legal authority to make decisions for her without the power of attorney? Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question and a good clarification. The moment that, you know, all of our parents, all parents out there, you know, we all love our children and, and we care for them. But once they are of legal age, it doesn't matter what you say or think. You may not have the opportunity to act in their place and be their, basically their attorney. In fact, in other words, be able to say the things that they would say because you know them and make the decisions that are so important. Maybe like signing a do not resuscitate order or even worse, saying it's okay to pull the plug on, on all the equipment. So those things are so important because you won't be able to do that without these documents. Mm. So how would you describe kind of the emotions, the feelings that it gave you and your family, knowing that you could act in your daughter's best interest since you had this document? What difference did that make for you? Right. And, and, you know, it was a close call for us. So I want to make, I want to make a distinction that it was a very, very close call. So mm -hmm. we obtained the power of attorney before she was put in a medically induced coma. So I want to, I want to make sure that that distinction goes out there, but we still had the same effect. We were able to, in fact, say what we what we wanted you know to happen extend her life as much as possible you know figure out what doctor and medical intervention you know would would go into place otherwise it, they would have done all that for her and so the the emotional part of it is that you know the way that you feel about it is that it kind of gave us the power back in our hands and though we looked at this very spiritual we were relying on God, we were praying to God, but at some point you do have to make a choice and a decision that is going to be life altering. So we felt that at least we had the opportunity to make a life changing decision that we felt good about. Thank you so much for uh, just kind of explaining that and, and helping the viewers and listeners know why this is so important. Let's actually just begin with an overview question that some people may still be wondering. We've probably heard the term power of attorney before, but what actually is it? Yeah, it's a good way to start the conversation because there's so much information out there and people just need to know what it actually is and what it actually does. There are two types of what we call POAs or power of attorney. One of them is for financial and the second one is for healthcare. So let me go through the financial real quick. A financial power attorney basically empowers someone to make a financial decision for you if you're somehow incapacitated or otherwise incapable of making them for yourself. Now, although only one person can serve at a time, you can actually add up to three backups in succession. So that's that's the financial power of attorney and you know the primary one. So now we can move on to the healthcare power of attorney and a healthcare 
power attorney empowers someone to make healthcare related decisions for you if you're somehow incapacitated or otherwise incapable of making them for yourself. Obviously, in these documents, again, only one person can serve at a time. But when you set up an alternate, it's it's going to give you that extra layer of protection because if somebody is unable to or unwilling to, then you have the, the people lined up to be able to go through and, and get this stuff uh, situated. So in the healthcare power attorney, I just wanted to add, it it should be accompanied by what we call a HIPAA form. And the when it comes to HIPAA-related issues, this is, we're talking about the medical field and the protections, right? The, that, you know, there are some state and federal laws. They, um, they include uh, healthcare insurance portability, you know, uh, and accountability act. This is, that's what that's called. So they protect your right to keep your medical information private. That means that the doctors can release information about your medical condition only under limited conditions. So uh, to certify that you're, you're, you're incapacity, your healthcare agent or the person that you designate to do this uh, will need to provide proof that the doctor may legally release information about you to your agent, right? And then you may be able to resolve this issue by completing a release form before you become incapacitated. That is the framework for how powers of attorney work. Great. Uh, and again, I hope I hope that helps people who are listening. If they've heard the term, they've never quite understood the mechanics of it, uh, what goes into making the decisions about who acts in your place, what can they actually have impact on, what kind of information can they be given. Uh, a lot of those things need to be put in place. So what kind of people do... Uh, you know, we typically list as the beneficiaries or the executor of the power of attorney. What, who are we giving this power to? When we're creating these legal, uh, let's talk, you know, I, I say legacy, you know, planning, which is estate planning. It's kind of like, you know, play on words. Um, you'd be asking who you want to leave, you know, your estate. So these, these are the entities or the people that the name that, it, that is given to them is that the beneficiary of your estate. So yeah. in most cases, most people have their children, right? They'll name their, their children as the beneficiaries. Um, people who do not have children, though, sometimes choose maybe some close relatives. Um, these could be, you know, nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters. But you can also choose a corporate entity, such as maybe a charity or religious organization. So those are the, um, the beneficiaries. So if if there's a cause like Doctors Without Borders or World Vision or something like that, where you know maybe I'm I've I've lived a good life, but I don't have any children or grandchildren, and and I've outlived my partner or spouse, and I think you know I want all this to go to a cause. I could I could just have that organization be the beneficiary of my power of attorney. Yeah, yeah. So if I could share this with you, I think this is actually I, I think it, it 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 a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So mm -hmm. there is, and I won't mention the the place, but I I can tell you because I you know we attend church, <clears throat> a a a church in the United States. See, there you go. That's very ambiguous, so nobody will figure out. Um, there was a report of 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 a very very loyal family, and um, the the grandmother, the the mom, the the lady of the household, um, passed away at a very very late you know stage in her life. She's probably like close to ninety years old, and the church she left the church over 1.2 million dollars 
to advance the causes that she was interested in. And so, you know, a lot of people think, well, why would somebody do that? Obviously, to her, that's what mattered. I'm sure that her family was well taken care of. And so it's not about the amount. It's really about what's in the heart and the intention, right? So let's say you have, you know, you have a number of biological children, or maybe you and your your spouse are unable to have your own biological children, but you adopt children. How, how do they factor into all of these decisions with the power of attorney? And, you know, we've seen that a lot. And I just, I want to, I want to make a distinction here. There's a, there's a reason why um, f- about 50% of the marriages end up in divorce. So what that causes uh, it had, causes a lot of moving parts. So your estate plan, the way that these documents are put together, it has language that automatically includes all children naturally or legally adopted as equals. It's a really good distinction. Additionally, say that again. I'm so sorry, my phone yeah. keeps falling over. Mm-hmm. So the estate plan has language that automatically includes all children naturally born or legally adopted as equals, right? So that's that's good because we know that there's some mixed marriages. But additionally, most states also have implemented inheritance legislation that puts biological and adopted children on an equal footing. However, there are a variety of situations that can complicate the issue. For example, adoption can sever the connection between the child and their birth parents in their state's eyes. So the adopted child would not inherit anything from their birth parents' estate unless they were explicitly included in the will or the trust, which we can talk about later on, by name. And additionally, unadopted stepchildren do not have the same rights to inheritance as biological children. Thus, these are state-specific, attorney drafted legal documents at a fraction of the cost. What, what What's big about this is that all of those things are taken into consideration. Excuse me. And so you might have some people that are very, very logical. And the only thing that I can tell you is that once the initial consultation is had and we know that what the situation is, there there is a, a large checklist of things that are checked between, in, in let's call it interstate, intrastate, right? Or, you know, however you want to put it. Uh, And it takes into account all of those things. Let's call them family branches and how you can separate those family branches based on what decisions the the person uh, getting the documents created will want to leave for them. Now, when you talk about these state-specific attorney-drafted documents, are we talking about just the, the power of attorney Right. So it includes the the power of attorney, which, which we just discussed earlier, the, the financial power of attorney, the medical power of attorney. There's also, you know, the HIPAA form. And, and there's a there's another form inside of those documents that we call the the letter of intent. So the letter of intent says this. If I, I you know, I let's see the person who's who's named in the in that document. I intend to return to my home regardless of my mental, cognitive, physical condition. And if I'm in in a rehab facility, I still intend to return to my home. Why? Why would they do that? Well, 
Medicare, usually when somebody's hospitalized in a situation, they'll have them sign over the deed to the home. Now, again, state specific, not every, not every state does it, and some of them might do it, a different variation. But what that does is it creates a situation where the person would if effectively give up their home to pay for a hospital bill. Mm. How fair is that, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of people that have their opinions about it. All I'm talking about is the protections that exist with these documents. So you have those powers of attorney, the HIPAA form, and then the letter of intent. And then we go into more specifics. So a will is actually a living will that someone would designate the, the difference between how they want their personal property. And when we talk about personal property, we're talking about like, you know, the furniture, the, you know, the, the paintings, you know, the watch, things like that. These, these are things that no one can title or they don't have like a significant value, like let's say a $200,000 uh, bank account, right? So these are personal items. Then you have the assets, which are financial assets. Let's say, you know, a brokerage account, a home, a property, maybe like a plane or something like that, right? Like personal plane, private plane. So those are things that, you know, have to be titled and they have to have wording in, in there that designates where they go to. So the will will have pretty much take care of most of the personal property, but then the trust, depending on the situation, not everybody needs a trust. And to protect people from what happens with a will, which creates the the probate, right? The process of probate in a trust, you circumvent that. You just go over it and make sure that that gets taken care of now so that it limits the amount of intervention that has to happen with, you know, estate planning attorneys, uh, court fees, judges, uh, all this stuff that has to happen to rectify and to settle the estate. So at the end of that, Minor, you, you got talking about lawyers in courts. And so maybe people's blood pressure started to rise as they heard that. Uh, and then you you said this word probate. And I've, you know, when I've gone in for jury duty or to pay a parking ticket or something, I've, I've seen the sign pointing towards probate, but I have no idea what that is. Can you enlighten me and, and our listeners, what the heck is probate? Right. And that gets thrown around, thrown around a lot. And so I, I, I like talking about this, but remember my intention is to leave the legalese out and try to present it to <laughs> an everyday family that understands, you know, what, what, uh -huh. what this, this. let me talk about it. And then I'll talk a little about some of the disadvantages of probate. Sure. So probate is defined as the orderly administration of your affairs supervised by a court. <laughs> orderly administration. Uh, <laughs> there's a little bit of, of fun into that. So I'll it is more on in there. Yep. It is a function of state law. And it varies from state to state. Now, if you own real property in more than one state, your estate will probably be subject to probate in numerous jurisdictions, which will also impose additional fees. Now, let's talk about the word probate, and it comes from the Latin word to prove. A will must be presented to the probate court and be proven to be a valid document. I think that right there is everything that you know any, anyone needs to know the the uh in addition to proving the will the probate process also includes a few steps officially confirming the executor or the personal representative 
that's named in the will or appointing representative, if that's necessary, which gets a little complicated, notifying the court of a deceased person's death and informing all involved parties, all potential heirs, whether named in the will or not, that probate has started. This is why probate is so time consuming and expensive. Then you have to take an inventory of all the property and appraising its value. Think about appraisal fees, you know, getting somebody to, to maybe look at the uh, look at the stuff to see if it's still working right, you know, that kind of stuff. Then you have to go to paying the deceased person's debts and taxes. Then you have to um, go in and preparing for the final accounting for the court. Because remember, probate, it just means proving to the court, right, that, that this all belongs to the deceased. And then the final part is distributing the remainder of the deceased person's uh, property to their heirs and then closing the estate. So what are the what are the disadvantages of, of, of the probate process? It's time consuming, it's costly, you lose control, and you have lack of privacy. So let me talk about that part. Um, all probate transactions are a matter of public record. <laughs> Anyone can find out the size, the contents, the beneficiaries of your estate. And this is actually very frustrating for the family. It creates disputes and exposes your family to unscrupulous solicitors. I always say you got to protect against, against, against creditors and predators. And those, those are the things that you're able to do when you avoid probate, right? Avoid predators and creditors. I like that. You also mentioned earlier that there was a way to go around probate, to circumvent it, and I believe it had to do with a trust. Please, after that nightmare of, of hearing how probate works, please tell us the way to not do it. You know, a revocable living trust, and people have to just get comfortable with the language, right? What it does, it can save you time and money. And as well, it can be added as a control over your assets. So a living trust can avoid the public costly and time-consuming core processes at death. That's what probate is. Um, and in capacity, let's, let's talk about conservatorship or guardianship, which is another conversation that we need to have. Um, it can let you provide for your spouse without disinheriting your children, which can be important in second marriages. And it can save estate taxes. Now, remember, as a disclosure, I am not a CPA. Do you have to consult with your CPA? But what I'm talking about is the general information. And it can protect inheritance from children and grandchildren from the courts and creditors, spouses, divorces, uh, divorce proceedings, and irresponsible spending. So what I'd like to say is this. With a living trust, you take control and you dictate the narrative of how this is going to play out. I've heard nightmares of inherit inheritance theft. I've heard nightmares. So most people are probably, they've heard the term like a trust, a trust fund baby. Can you imagine putting a million dollars in the hands of an 18-year-old without any restrictions? What a, a trust will do is you can dictate different percentages and different, uh, you know, things that that the person must do, like, you know, imagine having a, a record with the police, maybe having a gambling problem or substance abuse problem. You know, those things are put in the wording so that 
it's almost like you're still managing your family and your household. You're just not there anymore. You're letting the documents do the talking for you if it's done right. Sounds like it's a way that you can continue to provide guidance, wise teaching, love, protection, even when you maybe can't act or speak the way that you used to. And especially if you have passed on to glory, um, you can continue to love your family well by putting up these guardrails. You used a word, and I know that here at Trusted Covenant, we really don't want to be about the jargon, the, the legalese, but I do think it's important to educate people about these words so that they lose their intimidation factor. And so you refer to the living trust as a revocable living trust. Is that right? Yes. Okay. What does that mean? What does the word revocable mean? Let me talk about the difference between a living trust and a testamentary trust. So okay. a testamentary trust is not something that we you know, advocate, and let me explain why. The basic difference between a testamentary trust and a living trust is when the trust is organized. So a testamentary trust is established when the grantor dies, whereas a revocable living trust is established while the grantor is still alive. So that means that you are the one that's navigating. You're in the driver's seat. That's what a, a living trust does. A testamentary trust is part of a person's will. This is there's a big difference. I, I because because it has the word trust in it doesn't mean that it does exactly what what it's supposed to do. As a mm -hmm. result, it can, it, you know, a testamentary trust it cannot come into existence until the will enters the probate process. And we already talked about the probate process, right? So, testamentary trusts are seldom used since avoiding probate is a high priority for most well-established plans. Interesting. Thank you for clarifying that. You know, I mentioned this idea of continuing to provide for your family from, you know, beyond this life. And uh, what are some of the other benefits of a revocable living trust when it comes to preserving your family values, your your, your family mission and goals? Um, how do we approach that, especially here in our in our company, Trust and Covenant? Yeah, it's it's so important to me to to make the distinction that for a very long time, <clears throat> estate planning has always been viewed as like, you know, that big Victorian house and the old, you know, uh, Jaguar and people fighting over the, you know, the amount of money that was left behind. Maybe it was a, somebody that had a company and left millions of dollars to, to the family. And that's what they're all fighting for. But legacy planning is very different because it allows you as the individual to express your virtues your values how you look at faith and the world view how you look at business and and you know the economy how you look at family and relationships how you look at you know just being a whole person and how are you going to pass that on you know for generations to come so i think it's important to understand that even though we're talking about estate planning, when we say legacy planning, it includes a lot of that stuff that estate planning does, but we add a measure to the person and the, the essence of the person and the heart of the person and the mind of the person so that that person's legacy can carry on. Yeah. In our conversations, we've said that it's not about the stuff. Um, and yet the stuff can be the thing that breaks people apart shatters relationships, um, 
Because, I mean, the, the stuff does matter, though. I mean, these are things that people have spent their lives working to acquire property, homes, vehicles, um, you know, piles and piles of, of saved investments and, and, you know, just cash. And, and these things matter. And, and, you know, you mentioned a little while back about, you know, the divorce rate and, and most divorces are caused by financial disagreements. And, you know, I think we can expand that to not just marital divorce, but maybe sibling divorce, uh, divorce from our, our relationship with our parents, because we severely disagree on how things are being done. And, and so when we approach legacy planning, we want to include the human, emotional, spiritual component of it so that your story, your mission, your purpose is carried on. Now, a few moments ago, you mentioned uh, the term guardian. Uh, I'm guessing this isn't a guardian of the galaxy. It's going to be someone who plays a role in the execution of the power of attorney or the revocable living trust. Tell us about this guardian role. Yes. So I'm talking to all the parents now, right? Uh, the role of the guardian, you know, will essentially be the role you now have as a parent, you know, caring for your children, acting in their best interest, providing for them, whether it's physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, right, culturally, all of those things. So the question you have to ask yourself is, when you are no longer there, and if you look at the stats, parents that are in their 20s, pass away or, or get hospitalized or in their, you know, their thirties and forties, you know, and, and fifties, there are several questions to consider. Is the guardian, the kind of person that is willing to serve as a guardian for your children? You know, think about how the relationship would be between your child and, and that guardian. Do they have the maturity and stability, you know, as a parent, you know, for, for, the, you know, for the children? Do they have the time and energy to take on the task of raising your children? Is their age or healthy consideration? These are things that we need to think about. Do they know or love, at least care about your children? Do your children like them? <laughs> will, will they love your children and provide the support and comfort and nurture and, that your children need and, and carry on what we talked about before, the, you know, your virtues, your values, all of that stuff? Will they make it possible for your children to visit their grandparents or other relatives close to their friends? You know, how far do they live? Uh, the mm -hmm. other considerations are, do they have the room, you know, for, for your children? Or would they need extra funds to allow for them to add, you know, to a larger house? It's, this is kind of part of the conversation that we have. And then are their values, financial lifestyle comparable to yours? You know, are the children homeschooled or will they have to be you know, sent to a public school that you might not necessarily agree with. Um, is your guardian the uh, choice? Are you know are, are they married, or will the the spouse need to quit? You know their work. You know so they could take care of them. And then, how do they share your religious beliefs and practices? Those are the considerations that that you look at when you consider a guardian. And it really is is you're empowering that person as if you were there. So. The, the word guardian just gets thrown around as this legal thing that, you know, I think Britney Spears is a pretty good example of that, right? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, you, you're the father's going to take care of all of it. Yeah, like guardianship, right? But here we're talking about your family. It's a very different, more personal thing. When you put yourself in that situation, 
and you make an educated decision. After all, that's what we're doing. We're giving the education about how all this works. Just to make sure we're clear here, when we talk about guardianship, we're talking about a person who puts into their revocable living trust in the event of my incapacitation or death, this person will become the guardian of my minor age children. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And and part of the the process will be is like, you know, taking taking things into consideration as you know, when when my wife and I put our our stuff in place, like she automatically becomes right the the guardian when I'm no longer here. But the, the question now becomes, when her and I are no longer here, then what happens to our underage children? And so this is what what right. what we do with with clients to help them to see this. Just to remember, after all, it's a planning, right? It's you're just mm -hmm. putting a roadmap to to the things that matter to you, and you're saying exactly what you want to happen. And it can it can feel definitely a little bit morbid to imagine these things you know what if your mother and i died in a plane crash but the the purpose of it isn't isn't guilt it isn't to extract any kind of loyalty or anything like that from our children it's literally just it's just like insurance no one wants to daydream about their house burning down or a tree falling on their car or getting cancer those kinds of things but it's only when you need it that you go man i wish i had had this in place so that we had a roadmap so that we had a way through this crisis. And so this, again, it's not just about the money. It's about assets that don't have a dollar value. My literal children, how are they yeah. going to be loved and provided for? So I think that's a really important uh, element of the revocable living trust that you talked about. Now, can a power of attorney alone do uh, take care of that? In most cases, it isn't enough. So okay. the, the things that you want to consider are this. If you're maybe a single person, you know, working a, a decent job and you don't have any dependents, I think a will might be enough for, you know, for things to move around. But but you probably, you know, are not a homeowner. You probably don't own a business and you probably don't have any children. That changes when you are a parent, especially when you're a parent of a child with special needs hmm. it also changes when you become a homeowner and you know because remember real property is and is a, is an asset class that gets put into the trust that needs to be protected you also have a business interest that you want to protect think about what has happened with this like exit from corporate america and everybody wants to go on their own you know how many more solopreneurs entrepreneurs mom entrepreneurs, you know, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> what, yeah. What's happened is there's a little bit of a blind spot for them because they were essentially being taken care of by corporate America. Corporate America gave them that, you know, health, health care uh, plan. It gave them the short-term disability, long-term disability. But now that person has now become the CEO and they're the ones that are driving everything. So the continuity is... How does that continue without you there anymore? And so the business interest, protecting that in the trust is, is a huge consideration, especially as we move out of what, you know, where we've been and, and as we get AI to increase in numbers, it's going to become a bigger factor. Which, by the way, think about the security that could, could happen with, with having a, a legacy plan where no one can imitate me or my voice because I have 
something in place that actually my my children will know, my wife will know, this is who I am, this is my voice, this is this is me, and this is not AI generated. That's another huge consideration that we have to take into account. That may that may sound a bit like science fiction to some of our listeners, but it's not. Uh, we're we're seeing more and more, and it's not always in the case of fraud. Sometimes it's in the case of just teenagers bullying each other using AI to, you know, have their friends say or do something stupid. Uh, you can find YouTube videos all over where people will deep fake celebrities. <clears throat> I've even seen videos where the AI generated voices of United States presidents will play video games, which again, it sounds silly until it's not until this is the kind of thing where you go, I didn't say that that's not me. And the lawyers are like, we can't prove it one way or the other. The only way to prove it is to have all of this done and then witnessed and notarized and sealed into the trust so that your intentions are are perfectly protected and enshrined and cannot be meddled with by, as you said, a creditor or a predator. That's absolutely right. As we uh, wrap this up, I want to circle back in a way to the story that you opened with, the story of your daughter, Kayla, and, and not necessarily dig into that specific one too much, but just a lot of the questions that people may have and the situations they may run into with healthcare directives, with medical intentions. And so how, you know, you said basically there's a power of attorney for healthcare. We, we talked about power of attorney for finance and power of attorney for healthcare. Is that also known as a healthcare directive? That's right. Okay. So that's one of the other terms for it. So what are some of the uh, like actions you can take on behalf of someone where let's say they are in a coma um, and you're, you're acting on their behalf? What kind of power does that give you? So a medical health care directive or, I mean, it, it, it just, it gives you the same powers that you would have if, if, if you were able to say the, the thing. So let's, let's take the, from its simplest form, we want to be able to make sure that a, you know, an 18 year old, you know, they, they're horsing around, they're in college and they get into trouble and, you know, now they, they they're in, in in an emergency room, and if they were awake and able to speak, they would say, "Don't put that rod in my knee because I don't like the way that feels." Or so you know, whatever decision that they would make. Or if if they were you know about to you know maybe lose consciousness and like you know the, you know sign a do not resuscitate order, they they could do that. That's what that's what you know, a medical healthcare directive allows them to do. So the, the healthcare agent or the person that you designate to be able to do this will have the conversation with the medical staff and say, here's, here's the situation. You know, they have a 40% chance to live. This is, this is what we can do, but it also comes with this risk because every medical intervention has a possibility or, or a percentage of, of, of success, but it also comes with the risk. So that person is really put in a really difficult situation where they have to make this decision without knowing any medical jargon or anything like that. You're really just going by, if it's, it's talked about ahead of time, you'll be able to do something. So let me give you just a, a quick example of what one of our, one of our clients, again, no, no personal names. This person said, if I'm ever in a coma, I'm setting 
a 90-day window. After 90 days, after they have done everything that they possibly can, I no longer wish to live after 90 days because 90 days for that person meant that they, they were able to do everything possible without the body deteriorating, right? So that's that's one example. So let's say you have this medical power of attorney and I, this this is very theoretical, but let's say there are some people in your loved one's life. So this is the person who's in the hospital, uh, people that just should not be around them, people that are, are a very negative influence, very bad for them. Uh, they, they can't be trusted. Can you actually limit their visitors when you have that healthcare directive? Powerful, powerful question. And this is a, a, a part that is left out and most people don't really understand. And when you do this, you not only identify the people that will actually make the situation better. There are some people that you know in your family, they're so unstable and you know emotionally or mentally or whatever, you would not want them involved in making these decisions because they're gonna, I mean, it's gonna, it's gonna feel like chaos in that hospital room, right? And you know that level-headed person, the one that kind of thinks like you, and if you had to kind of step away, you would put that person in there. Not only do you do that and designate that person, but the other thing is you talk to your other family members and you let them know when something happens to me, this is the person that's gonna go in and act in that place. Why? Because there's no ambiguity about it. Everybody knows this person is the designated healthcare agent, right? Why is that important? Because it will it will give the healthcare agent a fighting chance to execute your decisions and your wishes. Otherwise, can you imagine the chaos downstairs in the in the emergency room and you're in the ICU trying to take care of this? I mean, it's it it could, could spiral out of control. Can that agent say yes or no to certain visitors? Yes. In in the in the the wording, so there's a there's a letter we call the letter of direction. In the letter okay. of direction, you're literally going to write down, you know, here's you know, in case I was hospitalized, this is this is exactly what I would want. You know, these are the people that I want. You know, part of it, you you make your end of life decisions there. You know, if for some reason I don't make it, then this is what I want. You know, some people would choose cre you know cremation because this is you know maybe the way that you know they were taught. Some people are like, no, it has to be a traditional funeral. Those are the things that go into that. But the the letter of direction, you aside from the legal stuff. Now you're going in and saying, these are the instructions for the health healthcare agent, because you don't want to put that person in a situation where they don't know what to do. What all they have to do is follow what you you gave them. So really quick, uh, I think it, it's when you have an illustration, it's really it, it kind of brings it to life. I've been I've been asked by family members to accompany them to, you know, to the hospital where the doctor was going to give, you know, and, and the doctor comes in and they say, you know, I'm sorry, you know, three months is all you have. And, and when that conversation is, you know, when that is revealed, that person knows that their actions or their wishes are going to be carried out, even though they're still awake, they know that their time is pretty near. So it's kind of like you go into action mode. 
this is what you know this is what it was designed for let me add one more cautionary statement here hospital protocols i'm just going to say my experience and i'm going to say you know how i feel about this and i want everyone to look deep into their you know their core their being and how they believe so hospital protocols um the frontline workers i don't have anything against the frontline workers i believe that you know not only are they amazing individuals to be able to go through the that you know the torture of of, of studying and and you know looking at medicine looking at all the stuff and just you know their, their heart is to help people and i'm not talking about the frontline i'm not even talking about the even the, the the medical you know the doctors what i am talking about is using care to advance medicine but without jeopardizing your own health because of maybe a directive a hospital directive that doesn't coincide with your worldview or your your you know your your view on medicine so let me explain what i mean by that i used to have on my driver's license organ donor and that became a little bit of a question and what what i what i was able to do is take it off the driver's license and put it inside the medical healthcare directive meaning i still would love to see somebody being able to use my organs for whatever reason but only once everything that is under my wishes has been obtained and then if you know god is is eternal you know he has everything under control and i'm no longer here at that point only at that point well then my organs will be you know uh you know given to to you know to medicine but that person takes control and that person now has a a a, a way for them to exercise everything that they really want to happen, you know, with, with their bodies and, and their med medical care. But I think we all have some amount of, you know, varying levels of trust and skepticism about how things work. And, and we don't need to dig into that because again, a lot of it, you know, it's based on our personal experiences. It's based on how, how we have, you know, our felt reality with that. And so I think what you said is a nice baseline for people to take away that, you know, regardless of your, uh, you know, personal experiences with the, the hospital system in America or wherever you, you happen to be living, it, it's good to take care of your house first. Don't, you know, don't entrust these things to anyone else. Um, and, and just, yeah, just take care of your own business. Here's another question that, that has actually come up more frequently than you might think. Is it possible to have more than one power of attorney at a time? When you say power attorney, you're talking about a medical power attorney or a financial power attorney? Let's say two of the same kind, like two financials or two medicals. Yeah. So that that can become very difficult. And it sometimes happens when somebody creates a, a an estate plan here. And maybe, the, you know, those things are signed. Right. Like, But it was a long time ago. So the the way to do that is you know, with, with a renewed plan, right. You know, when you're doing, you're updating everything. Some people actually have these things, you know, sealed in an envelope that, that could be, you know, but it's a physical document, right? So in this electronic age, you know, it, a person could literally, once this is done, they could literally hold it in their phone and show them, you know, wherever they need to, to show. Uh, but obviously, you know, it, we want to make sure that things are updated. And so that when when they're updated, 
whatever was created before has to go away. And this is the way that, you know, that you want to make sure that there's only one active power of attorney for, for financial matters and one for medical uh, decisions. That makes complete sense because there, I can't imagine a world where having two powers of attorney at the same time would not override and, and contradict each other in some kind of way. And so, you know, I think the idea of this is to be the ultimate voice when you cannot speak for yourself in matters of finance, in matters of healthcare. And to have two voices or more trying to talk at the same time is going to produce chaos and confusion and really have the opposite effect of the power of attorney to begin with. It's it's not going to give your loved ones any peace of mind if they're like, well, wait a minute, do we do the one from the 2000s or do we do the one from last year? Which is it? Um, so one power of attorney at a time. And, and when it comes even to your living trust, there's a reason why I wanted us to define the word revocable, because revocable means you can change it. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, you can you can make changes as you go. You know, it's, it's actually uh, uh, while you're living, you you're the one that's directing it. And I would I would probably just add one more facet of this. What I like to do is I like to have continuous and 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 constant communication with our with our clients. What I mean by that is anytime a life event occurs, we need to make sure that that legacy plan is 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 still you know in effect. Let's say they you know they they sell a a house, they move to another state. Um, somebody passes away, somebody is born, somebody got divorced, somebody got remarried. They, all of those things are moving moving targets. So your question is very valid. The document that you created 10 years ago or two years ago could have served its purpose then, but now things have changed. Now you're going to need to make sure that that still reads the way you want it. So here's the thing. Whose responsibility is that? It's the person that's putting this plan together. Now, who do you, who do you need? You need an advisor to just kind of help you walk you through it. And so, you know, mm -hmm. we, we'll do an annual review and the review is just going to be, hey, let's let's just talk about life. You know, how, how's everything going? You know, has anything major changed? Yes. By the way, we no longer live in Florida. We moved to Oregon. Now, why would anybody do that? I don't know. I'm just kidding. Uh, you see the point? It's, it's like, Here's you know. beautiful <laughs> right. So as we close, Minor, I do want to ask, um, how do we approach power of attorney here at Trusted Covenant? Uh, how much do we charge for one? Um, yeah, tell us a bit about that. Oh, man, this is now, now you're talking to my heart because, you know, this is what now we made a decision that we do not want anybody to say, I, I can't get this done because money or time or conviction. Those are the three simple things, right? So let's talk about money. It is usually customary for uh, a medical power of attorney and a and a financial uh, power of attorney to you know the, it's it's valued anywhere between two to four hundred dollars, right? We decided we made a decision that we were going to do this for free. Free? We're going to do this for free. Free ninety nine. Okay. Now let me explain what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so what I, so what I think is important is you know. I want to eliminate all the excuses that people have for not doing this. This is a, a personal matter to me. Like I, I actually believe in this so much that I want to make sure everybody has it. So we made a decision that we're going to do this 
uh, for free and we're going to give it to them. So, you know, we it's a 15 minute consultation, free consultation. Then we we go through, uh, it's just a, a few questions. And I mean, we do, we are going to ask you some personal stuff like, you know, who are you married to? You know, have you been divorced? Do you have any children? Things like that. But we're not going to ask for any account numbers or social security numbers, nothing like that. Okay. So very, very safe. Then we're going to provide them to you and you can take those documents and you have to make sure that they're notarized, witnessed, and signed. So without those things, these you might as well not do it, right? So you can go and if you know somebody that, that does that work, great, you got it. And then all that we ask is that you, you know, send it back so we can keep it in, on record in case you ever need it. We have, we have it, you know, with us. But here's what, what we did. And, you know, we, we vetted a mobile notary who is going to be able to provide, you know, prov provide that service. Now that, that, that person has, you know, they, they have their way of, of executing this for them. And so what, what I think is important is sometimes some of these documents need more than one witness. So they are able to provide that witness online. So now you eliminate it. Look, we took care of the cost. We took care of, let's just say the, you know, people don't go into action and actually don't sign it. So we, we, we have the ability to do that, to, to have this in place, signed, notarized. Then the only thing that's left is for you to figure out, okay, is the is the plan complete? If it's not complete, meaning you do have a home, you do have a business, and you do have children, where well, you're going to need more documents. And we're just simply going to say, you can now have the information to go and take care of it. Or if you liked what we did for you as appreciation for getting this started for you for free, you're more than welcome to work with us and we'll be able to get uh, get it to the finish line. That is awesome, Miner. Uh, obviously, I knew about that. I'm pretending that I didn't. Uh, I, I love the idea that we give it away for free 99. That's so clever. But we do. We really believe that this is important because the, the mission behind our company is to help you have peace of mind, to help you reach that feeling of, I have enough because God is my provider. I, yes, I work hard, but ultimately, you know, I, I can put as many seeds in the ground as I want. God causes the rain to fall. He's the one who puts the nutrients in the soil. He causes the sun to shine. And, and so what we're always longing for with our clients and, and with ourselves is this feeling that no matter what happens, he's got me. He's providing for me. And one of the best ways to take away a lot of those question marks and those worries is the power of attorney, both for your finances and your medical directive, so that you don't ever end up in those situations where it's like, gosh, am I going to let someone down? Am I going to make a decision that I'm going to regret for the rest of my life? Am I leaving the hands of my closest loved ones to lawyers, judges, and, and healthcare professionals who, who they may mean well, but they don't know our story. They don't know our values. They don't know why we have done everything that we have done. So Minor, tell us quick, how can people take advantage of this free power of attorney? There will be a link um, to a, a calendar uh, entry. And uh, all you have to do is pick a time that works for you. Uh, we'll, we'll be on. And and uh, again, we, we want to eliminate the, you know, people hesitating because it's, it's too lengthy, too wordy, too confusing. No, we're going to make it real simple. 15 minutes and we're done. And we, you know, we put this in front of you. Um, but remember that what we're doing is, aside from the fact that you mentioned, you know, David, that, that God is a provider, God is also a God of order. 
And mm. so, you know, you, uh, you know, the listeners and viewers might think, oh, you know what, uh, I, I like order in my life. Okay, so I, I buy the, the extended plan on my iPhone. I buy auto insurance so that in case I get into an accident, you know, I have, I have all these things in place. But your life, your legacy is the most important thing that you're going to leave behind. You don't leave that to chance. It, you know, take the steps that you need to take and, and just know this. The statistics are absolutely 100%. We have a 100% mortality rate. We are all going to die. The more comfortable we become with that language, the more order we're going to be able to create. So now you, you, you have no excuse when it comes to the money. You have no excuse when it comes to the time and how simple we make it for you. And if you feel like you know we, there's other things that we can do to help you in the future, then that's how you would repay us because you know we we want to be able to to be that that resource for you. So the moment that you turn 18 years old, you need to be considering how you're going to be able to implement this into your life. And again, I really want to thank you uh, David for you know putting this together for our listeners so that they're informed and they're educated and they're able to make a, a good decision based on on the knowledge that you provide. I was hoping we were going to uh, end the episode in the video with uh, 100% mortality rate we're all going to die. Thanks everyone for watching. <laughs> no, but it, 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 honestly, it is, it's the fear of that death that drives us to do so many foolish, reckless, and, and even cowardly things. And, and I use that word lightly, of course, but uh, rather when we acknowledge it and we own it, and in a way we even embrace it the way that our savior did, we can take the sting out of it and, and bring more meaning and purpose into our lives. So as Miner just shared with you, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, look down in the description, you're going to find the link to a calendar invite and you're just booking a fast, easy, low pressure, no, pre no pressure, 15 minute call. It it's a call with Miner. You're not going to talk to someone else. You're not even going to talk to me. You're going to talk to Miner here about your power of attorney. And you can set up that financial power of attorney, the medical power of attorney in 15 minutes. The documents are going to be yours. They're going to be in your hand. Yes, we have a way that you can get that notarized at a very low cost, but you don't have to. You can get that taken care of with anyone who happens to be in your network if you want to. Um, so please don't wait any longer. Don't put it off. Check out either in the description or show notes the link to that calendar invite so that you can get your power of attorney today and put all of these questions to bed once and for all. Miner, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And thank you all for listening. Great. The best time you could have done this was yesterday. The very next best time to do it is today, but don't wait till tomorrow. Mm. Yeah, we should have done it yesterday. So let's do it today. Thanks, Miner. We'll catch you next time.